Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 160 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we are just all kinds of just thrown off today, and we're just going to roll with it. It's fine. It's fine. I'm Karen Peterson, joined as always by the amazing Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. How are you, I, Lauren? I, I'm, I'm doing all right, other than I've been dealing with a monsoon that has been trying to get into my apartment and so far has not completely succeeded, but otherwise, just fine. <laughs> yeah, we don't deal with a lot of monsoons here. It, it happens on occasion, but not well, like what you guys get. And, and I'm also on the 14th floor, so so and I'm on a corner I'm a corner apartment, so like I just get blasted <laughs> with water sometimes. <laughs> sometimes but you know props props to my apartment for not completely like leaking all over the place uh yeah yeah that is definitely a good thing um yeah I oh man I'm just I remember when I lived in Montreal for a bit and there were it, it rained all the time like during the summer especially it would rain on it was the weirdest thing Mondays and Thursdays and sometimes on Saturday <laughs> and oh man we were on the third like on the top floor it was a three-story building and we lived on the third floor and like our fire escape if we because we would leave the windows open because it was so hot and we didn't have an air conditioner and it was like there were times we'd come in and just like the whole floor was wet because it was just coming in sideways from the windows <laughs> it was just yeah. like oh man yeah exactly exactly i got up this morning and i just went and checked all of the various entry points and there's some some water had gotten in but not i i mean i've had problems before where it's just been like you know a half inch of water on the floor and near the windows and stuff like that it's just it's terrible but i live in an older building like you know i there are a lot of things i like about it and more than a few things that i don't so (laughs) yeah definitely that's always the way uh yeah so we this is going to be just kind of one of those hodgepodge episodes where we don't have we don't have like a specific topic to cover, but lots of little things that we want to talk about. And I mean, I'm I just... have things that I would like to complain about. So. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's basically, this is a complaining episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because the other night, um, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, but um, there are a lot of our listeners don't aren't on Twitter because you're smart, smart people. Um but uh yeah so my roommate came home and I had just started Ghostbusters and <laughs> she was just like what is this and I was like oh you know what this is and she's you know she watches for a second it was seriously right in the opening scene when like the tour guide is getting scared and um and she just goes oh I love this movie I'm like yeah I do too I watch it whenever I have a day where boys are just annoying me and she was just like oh you must watch this a lot then (laughs) I was like yeah you know what I do constantly (laughs) on a loop 
<laughs> Pretty much. Over and over again. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that was, that was, that was fun. And then it was funny because then the very next morning I woke up to something. I don't think I, I don't think you even know about this um, because it went to my email, not, not our citizen Dame email. And I have not decided if I'm going to bother publishing it or not, but I got a comment on a review I wrote last summer about Tenet. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> and it was just so like funny. It was just like, oh my gosh, people need to get a life. So I'm going to read it. I'll probably approve it just because, you know, it's not anything like, you know, it's not like an attack or, or a, um, you know, it's not a threat or anything. So anyway, it says this article is a poor rendition of a critique dot, dot, dot. Sadly, it leaves out any details that make Tenet good and has or will never become popular because of its complete lack of common sense. Congratulations, <laughs> Karen M. Peterson. You can't understand something that is beyond your skill level, and so you call it poorly written. I would like to congratulate Jojo the Rabbit for the comment critiquing my writing skills with basically no correct grammar. So good job. Oh and also, yeah, let's talk about this for a minute. So in my review of Tenet last year, um, <laughs> someone, sure. someone went looking, someone went looking for that review no. or like stumbled upon it or something like that and, and posted that comment just to be mad at you for something that happened over a year ago. It's like, uh-huh. guys, guys, <laughs> no, first of all, this film got totally panned. It's not like you were the only bad review or anything like that. This film got panned. Exactly. It's, it's just... Oh my god. Well, the timing on it reminds me of when I wrote an article. This is years ago. This is when Finding Dory came out. And I wrote a post on my old blog about um one of the characters, this character Becky, who's this pigeon that clearly is not, you know, not a normal pigeon. And um I took issue with the fact that I felt like they were including a disabled character that's there just to be a punchline. And it was like a year and a half after I wrote that. And I would periodically get like just really rude comments about it because someone posted it on Reddit, which is so much fun. Let me tell you. Yeah. If you ever have an article that gets published on Reddit, (laughs) be prepared. And so then it was like a year and a half later, I get this comment that's like, dude, you need to get over it. And I was like, dude, I wrote this a year and a half ago. I forgot all about it. So I think you're the one that needs to get over it. Oh, it, it, in, in relation to that, um, I, I came across a Facebook post that I had like, it was one of those things that I had screen capped and I posted on Facebook and this was like two years ago or something like that, but it was someone, I've, I don't even remember what review it was about, but I got into an argument with this dude on Twitter and he wound up um, saying, he wound up saying to me, this is what happens when you let anti-social hedonists <laughs> review films or something like that. I was like, and, and my response was just like, oh my God, that is the greatest like insult I have ever received. <laughs> I am an anti-social hedonist. This is, I, I'm so excited right now. And then that is and like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, that's great. 
Um, yeah, so there are a few things that I loved about this comment, though. Uh, loved with, uh, you know, quotations. Um, using that comment or that word very generously. Um, but yeah, so what I love is, is all these people who get mad and take issue with those of us who say the plot is, is illogical and, and, you know, doesn't make any sense. Because it doesn't. And I made fun of that in my review. It's not that I didn't understand what the movie was about. It was just that it was so ridiculous and does not make it like it does not have a narrative flow that works. And so I'm, I mocked that a little bit in my review. And I love how so many critics have been like, this movie makes no sense. And all these, you know, Nolan loyalists are like, it makes perfect sense, but none of them can explain it. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's that's the thing. It's really easy to fall into the, oh, you're just stupid. You just don't get it. You just don't like understand what he's trying to do. But yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> okay, so explain it to me. If I'm that dumb, uh-huh. right, and I don't get it, then tell me what I'm supposed to get. Because obviously, you know, you're smart and uh, and I've, I've missed something. And of course they can't. No, because um, this is a case where it's not that the plot is too... Uh, too complicated to understand it's that it's too convoluted to make any sense well and and i would argue that there are, there are plenty of films that quote don't make sense right mm-hmm. there and they don't make sense because they're working in a different kind of narrative structure they're trying to do something a little bit different i mean if you look at louis Bunuel's films don't make sense a lot of the time because they're emus walking through bedrooms right (laughs) it doesn't make that doesn't make a narrative sense there's not an explanation for the emu but it makes sense within the context of the film because that's the style that he's employing you know he's changing the way that the narrative works and everything and it works with someone like Nolan who's making a movie that doesn't make sense it's like no it just doesn't hang together it's not that you know he's doing something deeper with it he's just not it's incoherent. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't fit. Everything does not fit together in terms of the style, in terms of the narrative structure, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had mentioned yesterday on, on Twitter because actually because of a, a question you had asked about murder mysteries. And that for some reason triggered this memory of seeing um, Brian De Palma's adaptation of The Black Dahlia, which is a great book by uh, James Elroy. It the book makes sense. It is convoluted and kind of twisty and turny. I watched the film twice because I was convinced that I had missed something. Mm. That I was just, because it, it's actually the most bizarre film I've seen because I'm sitting there going like, this feels like it should work. This feels like it should make sense. Like I, I get what the plot is. I understand who the characters are. You know, It's not like there's anything necessarily missing per se. But by the time you get to the end of the film, you're just like, what? What? This doesn't, this doesn't work. How does this come? How does this result in this? I don't know what the payoff is of this movie. <laughs> and I literally, I absolutely believe that. I was like, I must have just like zoned out or forgotten something. So I'm going to watch it again. Same fucking thing happened. Mm-hmm. Well, and this and is there's a films movie. that are like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. There's tons of films that are like that. Um, and But it's funny because with Tenet, it's like... I was able to follow what was there because I predicted how it was going to end and I was correct. So it's like, obviously I know what's going on. It just is stupid and it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. He thinks he's a lot, like he thinks that this movie is a lot smarter than it actually is. 
Yeah, I, I, I had the same experience with Inception and I remember having an argument with a friend about it. This was way back when. And, <laughs> uh, and it was the same thing. I was just like, no, like I knew what was going to happen. And I was like, no, that's too stupid. And then it happened. I was like, oh, that's stupid. You know, it, it's, it is like, I've, I've said this before and it, it, this is very mean, but also whatever, um, that, that Nolan makes art films for stupid people. And that, that is kind of what it feels like, but it's, it's, it feels like there's more to it than there actually is. It's very superficial. Well, um, and a lot of his films are like that. Not all of them, a lot of his films. Yeah, it's funny because I actually really enjoy Inception. Um, mostly because I think that the the craftsmanship of that, like I really think the visuals look cool. You know, I like I like a lot of just the elements of, of what go into making that film. I, I really enjoy it. But it's funny because to me, like people have spent years debating about the end of that movie. And to me, it's like, the reason Christopher Nolan won't explain it. And he says, oh yeah, there's an answer. But the reason he won't explain it is because it's dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, I, I, don't, I don't, I think the ending is pretty clear. I'm like, okay, I get it. It's stupid, but I get it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think he, he, I think the reason he won't explain it is because he just, he wants to keep that air of like, oh, it's really smart and you have to like figure it out. And it's like, uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so Tenet last summer, <laughs> still talking about it. Even though there's all these new movies coming to theaters for us to enjoy and to talk about instead, but whatever. Um, speaking of people just reacting really weirdly and stupidly to stuff, <laughs> did you have so much fun this week when the Eternals this, trailer hit? <laughs> this is all of a piece, quite honestly. Like, yes. So, so the Eternals trailer, which is directed by um, Toby Zhao, uh, Toby, Chloe Zhao, excuse me um and is is a new marvel movie that she has done and that is coming out i think this summer end of the summer uh november it got november. moved to november oh, okay. so it's late mm -hmm. um and so the first trailer dropped for it and of course this being the internets uh everybody had a reaction to it one of the things that struck me I, see here's the thing i don't have a strong connection to the marvel movies i don't really care that much about them i'm interested in the films that are being made by like not white dudes um and particularly ones that are kind of outside of the regular rotation of the you know captain america iron man thor etc but it's you know i like i i love take it um thor ragnarok uh i really liked black panther um, so definitely I'm more interested in the films that are not being made by white guys. And the Eternals are like, okay, this is interesting. They you know I'm, I'm willing to go along with this. It's, she's definitely bringing her own style to Marvel, which is, I think, fascinating and everything. The anger and the like dismissiveness for a, it's a trailer. It is a goddamn trailer for a movie. It just, it, it was one of the weirder things that, that I've seen, but at the same time, I'm coming to expect it because I feel like that this is very much of a piece with particular reactions to films that are either made by women or people of color or that feature women and people of color that automatically there's like this, this switch that happens where if it doesn't look perfect, 
right, to the particular person that's talking, then it must be terrible, it must be bad, like it just has to be excoriated. And I was shocked by the reaction to the Eternals, just simply because it's a trailer, like whether or not you think it necessarily looks good, I'm like, okay, fine, you know, maybe it'll be interesting, maybe it won't, I don't know. But to get mad about it and to like start throwing around terms like Malikian grammar, which is just one of the dumbest fucking terms I've heard in a while. <laughs> um, and yeah, granted, you know, Zhao has been influenced by Malik. There's no doubt about that. But to, to basically apply this term, this made up term, right, to a, uh, the trailer for a Marvel film directed by a woman of color just seems like so many different layers of wrong. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that really frustrated me with all this. Um, one is the every time there's a new Marvel movie, the conversation comes up of like, there are people who are absolutely convinced that, and this is going to lead into other things we want to talk about. But there are people who are absolutely convinced that um, Kevin Feige just takes all the creative control away from directors and like you will make this movie that I want to make and he does obviously have a lot of control over story and like there's there's been a lot of times where directors have said like oh I've been told this actor or I mean this character is not available because of something else that's going to happen in another movie that's going to come out before this one and whatever but other than that he like he brings in people to make movies and they have collaboration film is very collaborative probably maybe the most collaborative art form and he you know he lets the directors kind of do their thing he doesn't just bring people in to be told what to do because otherwise he wouldn't have hired Taika he wouldn't have hired Ryan Coogler you know he wouldn't have hired Anna Bowden to anyway it's it's just so it's very frustrating um, because it, people just have this weird assumption that these directors have absolutely no control of their movies. And it's like, if that were true, first of all, oh, well, they're getting a big paycheck <laughs> and it finances other projects like Jojo Rabbit. Um, second of all, they obviously don't hate working for Marvel because Taika is doing a second one. Ryan Coogler is doing a second one. Like people sign on for multiple movies. So it's obviously not the worst experience. Otherwise they'd be peace out because directors aren't hired usually for multi-movie contracts. Actors, these actors are because they want to lock in those characters, but the directors, it's like, no, you have to deliver a good product and it has to succeed. And then we'll talk about your next movie, you know? So, so there's that aspect. And the, oh, sorry, Marina. No, I, I I was just gonna say that I I absolutely agree with you, and and I think that as I think that we do have to look at kind of the track record. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of the the filmmakers that were already established, you know, Taika Waititi was a stat was established as as a filmmaker by the time he he moved into the Ragnarok. Um, yeah. Uh, Ryan Coogler, right? Uh, Chloe Zhao. Chloe Zhao just won an Oscar for God's sake. Um, so none of these people well are... but they didn't know she was going to win an oscar before they hired her for eternal no, they, so that they... is a completely <laughs> irrelevant argument 
they didn't but you already have the rider which was a a yeah. big indie hit right mm -hmm. um yep. you you have nomadland which you know the these are not necessarily small films right and she has obviously established her style she obviously can make certain choices about what projects she takes on etc yeah. nomadland but, financed by searchlight by the way which is owned by hmm, who disney <laughs> but um the, the the point being that none of these people have lost their style right it's right. not like and i absolutely i i agree i do not want to see like watiti or zhao locked into making nothing but superhero films for the rest of their careers simply because i want to see what other kinds of films they can make yeah and and i want to see what other approaches they can take to different genres etc that's something that i want right so i absolutely agree with that but so far at least most of these directors who have gotten Marvel gigs, right, have not been locked into making only one particular type of film in one particular style. They've, you know, like you say, Watiti went and made Jojo Rabbit. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you can like that movie, hate it, whatever you feel about it, but it is a very different film from yeah. Ragnarok, right? Yeah. So it, it's, it's, a, it's weird, I think, to autumn. I think it's weird to assume that Marvel is just going to kind of neuter these directors. Um, and especially again, given the track record that we've seen, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's never going to happen. And I think a lot of people have cited um, Edgar Wright and his issues with Ant-Man uh, as being kind of one of the examples. And you know, who who knows what actually went on with that? Um, I I don't want to make any I don't want to make any assumptions necessarily. But again, it's not like Edgar Wright then didn't go on and do other fascinating films, and he has had a very long career as well. So I I don't I honestly don't completely understand what the concern is, other than the fact that you've got these great directors that are being sort of funneled into this this corporate. Um, uh, corporate mentality, mar you know, the kind of Marvel style and everything. And certainly these films have to fit into whatever it is that Marvel wants to do with the various characters. Yeah, they need to fit into a certain aesthetic. But the thing is, too, that part of the reason that so many, and this is one of the things that we were talking about on Twitter, so many of the, the Marvel movies look fairly much the same, you know, Iron Man, um, the the first two thor movies although those are a little darker um you know avengers it's, it's, look who's making these movies captain america look who's making these movies john favreau joss whedon um the russo brothers james gunn uh you've got um uh, uh kenneth branagh in there too and it's like yeah the thing is, and kenneth branagh is a little bit different but um but the thing is, you've got these guys that are all, not, and I'm not just talking like, oh, well, they're the same because they're all white dudes. That's part of it. But their aesthetics before they came to the MCU, their movies were similar feel, similar looks. They didn't, like, they weren't wildly different directors is, is the point in that. And so when you bring in people that direct mostly the same types of movies in the same types of way then the movies you're going to get are going to look very similar and so it gives this idea that oh well kevin feige just you know is a dictator and tells people they have to make it look this way and it's like well i mean in a way maybe the way that he did that was by hiring directors who all directed the same kind of movie 
Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And a lot of the directors that we're talking about, you know, the ones that I, I think make the most interesting films and that you obviously think make the most interesting ones are the ones who aren't the white guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they have very different lived experiences and they have very different ideas of how to tell stories about the world. And that's going to lead to different different looking movies, different feeling movies. They actually, you know, one of the things that we have talked about at length is how Thor Ragnarok actually addresses issues of colonialism and patriarchy and, you know, shoving your daughter aside because she doesn't fit into the perfect mold that you want her to. And, you know, it addresses those things. And then Black Panther also deals with issues of colonialism and racism and just they, they deal with these issues and they're allowed to. And that's where, that's to me, the example of how Kevin Feige, if he has been trying to, to manipulate what the, what the universe looks like at some point, he decided to move away from that. And I think I have a lot of different ideas of why, but, um, but obviously he's open to broader storytelling and not only is he open to that, but he's allowed to allow other filmmakers in that can that can branch out and tell those stories yeah i mean uh, ultimately to me it's like superhero movies are here uh they're going to stay for a while the mcu the dceu all of these you know comic book universes they're going to continue to get made right this is that's not going to change for a while Mm -hmm. um and and we do sort of have a, a choice here you know do we want to see nothing but a bunch of uniform white guys making the same types of films or do we actually want to see a diverse array of directors and that's kind of the i mean there's there's not much other choice there you know you either have a diversity of directors you have a diversity of points of view or you hire a whole bunch of white dudes like that seems to be the way that hollywood has been working the fact that marvel is going out and hiring people like chloe Zhao, i think definitely speaks well to them and at the at the worst a very good director is making a lot of money um, bringing her own style to the MCU, right? To, mm-hmm. Yes, to a corporate franchise. That's the worst thing yeah. <laughs> that's going on. Yeah. The, best thing, the best thing is that you do get something like what we got with Thor Ragnarok, where, like you say, you're actually using this, um, you know, the construction of a superhero movie and a, a story about a Norse god, for God's sake. Uh, to tell a story that's anti-colonialist mm-hmm. yeah. and that's that is that's quite a subversive act in its own way that's not necessarily saying that you know um oh what he isn't buying into the corporate structure because he is because he's taking money from marvel but he's also doing something interesting within it mm-hmm. yeah exactly um the other part of the argument just to go back to what you had been talking about too is just this weird tendency this is especially fueled by film Twitter and film YouTube and I guess now film TikTok, but it's this weird thing where people have to judge the entire movie by the trailer and, and determine like, oh, this looks like this and that is not going to be good because of these reasons. And oh, this movie is going to win so many awards. That's one of my favorites, just based on two and a half minutes of out of context footage, some of which is might not even make it into the final movie because they cut those trailers with whatever scraps of footage they send to the company. And 
you know, we've all had those experiences where we're waiting for a scene because we saw it in the trailer and then it doesn't happen. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's, that's the other thing that's really frustrating is, is how people just jumped on Eternals and jumped on, oh, Chloe Zhao, like this movie's going to be whatever it's going to be just based on this, this trailer. And I just, I, I enjoy watching a trailer once in a while. I'm not like a huge, oh, I have to see every trailer. Oh, what countdown to what I'm tired of trailers for trailers. Like seriously, stop that. That's so stupid. And like counting down, like the other day, I can't remember who it was. I think it might've been Edgar Wright actually speaking of him. Um, yeah, it was for last night in Soho. That trailer came out this week and it was like a few days before he was just like, tuesday guys the trailer's coming and i was just like oh my gosh like this is just it's dumb <laughs> it's so dumb it, it it is dumb. there's way too much emphasis on trailers and i think because of the internet also so we're no longer you know going to the movie theater and sitting down and seeing the trailer for the first time right most people when they see trailers for the first time now it's when they get released on the internet mm-hmm. um and and it 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 has like this effect, this PR effect of, you know, making it into this big event. Oh my God, you get to see the trailer for, you know, um, Avengers Endgame or whatever else. Watch the Super Bowl and you're going to see the trailer for, yeah. Yeah. And there are good trailers for bad films and there are bad trailers for good films. And sometimes, you know, they're like the the trailer for Last Night in Soho is a really good trailer. Like it's Mm -hmm. well cut together. It it definitely gives you enough information about the film without telling you everything. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, it's well done, whatever. I'm interested to see the film, which is the whole point of the the trailer but i'm not going to judge whether or not the film is is good will be good etc based upon what i've seen in a single trailer my biggest concern about last night in soho is the fact that i don't edgar wright has not a great track record of creating interesting female characters and uh and i have an issue with that so i'm sort of intrigued i'm like oh well he's actually featuring a female character in this film um but I don't know how he's going to do with that. And that's what I'm more like kind of worried about than I am about, you know, oh, it looks like there were a whole bunch of people who were talking about, oh, it's got, got it looks like a giallo. And I was like, I, okay. Like, yes, there are neon lights and like flashing things. I, I don't know where you're getting giallo from necessarily, but we're making all of these assumptions based upon a, a thing that is intended to sell you the film right? Yeah. That's what it's trying to do. And sometimes it's good at it and sometimes it's not, but it's not the film at all. <laughs> yeah. Another really good trailer this week was for Gunpowder Milkshake. I watched that trailer and I was like, yeah, that movie looks like a lot of fun. But then I started looking at who made this movie, which is all about women. Uh, it sort of looks like a bit of a John Wick type of movie. That's kind of what they're going for. And it's directed by a man it's written by men, one of which is the director, so it's co-written. Produced by men, the cinematographer is a man, the editor is a man, the original score is by a man, the production design is by a man, the art director is a man, the costume designer is a woman, it looks like the lead makeup artist is a woman, but I'm just like, this is this is the problem it's like okay yeah we've talked a lot like there are men that can make great films about women paul feig is one of them taika waititi is another um but 
it just I people are so like this is going to be a great movie this is what we need and I'm like you know what maybe but I'm looking at this list and I'm I'm skeptical and I'm going to stay skeptical I don't care how good the trailer is exactly yeah it's I, I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, we as, as film critics, as people who, you know, do a film podcast, for God's sake, we pay a lot more attention to this than I think most of the public does. Yeah, absolutely. Right? <clears throat> so certainly, you know, if I, if I told one of my friends who's not into film at all, it's just like, oh, there's this movie called Gunpowder Milkshake and this is what it's about. They might be like, oh, that sounds really cool. Or I might be, or they might be like, man, it sounds like kind of a John Wick ripoff or something like that. But if I then say, well, it features a cast of women, but it's directed and written, et cetera, by nothing but men, that is definitely going to produce a different reaction, um, mm-hmm. at least among my, my group of friends. Some people know they're not going to care, but other people are. And that seems to me more important than you know judging the film based upon the trailer and then what we say about the trailer. Yeah, um, there does tend to be this kind of groupthink that gets going in a lot of social media about film, where we've decided that this film is going to be great or that film is going to be terrible, long before the film even gets released. I mean, we've joked about it before the kind of arc of um, a film, and then usually if we're like, "Oh, this film is going to be great," then a month later it's like, "Well, actually, this film is going to be terrible." Here's why. Then the film actually comes out, <laughs> and a whole yeah. bunch of people decide it's either great or terrible. And then um, within a couple months after that, the narrative has been rewritten again, and it, it's just it's it's exhausting. It really is. I think that everyone needs to, I don't know, get out or or take a breath or something like that certainly stop judging films based solely upon what you know about them and the fact that a a two minute trailer got released yeah exactly oh man i so a few years ago i was dating this guy and um he he was funny because he enjoyed the fact that i'm a film critic because he got to be my plus one to a lot of stuff and so he didn't have a problem with that but he definitely took issue with critics because his his taste in movies is very like i mean he probably watched army of the dead immediately probably stayed up till midnight to watch it um when it came out last week that kind of thing like he his just his taste is very like the more explosions and and stuff like that the better uh he's very much into you know like genre stuff and whatever anyway so um one day we were having this conversation about I can't, I don't remember if we were talking about a specific movie or just about criticism in general, but he was explaining that he was really annoyed that, that critics would just like make these judgments about movies and tell people like, oh, this isn't worth watching. And I was like, well, that's not exactly what we're doing. We're just, you know, talking about the, the value or the not value of a movie and, and, you know, critiquing the art of the movie and i said there are very rare occasions where i'm going to tell somebody not to see a movie even if i think it's terrible you know i still think in general people should experience that for themselves if they want to um anyway but he was just like yeah just really annoyed at the way that critics just kind of like try and and to be fair modern critics tend to be more tastemakers and influencers than actual critics but anyway so we were having that conversation right before we went to the movies and um so we're sitting in the theater and the trailers start 
And he's giving thumbs up and thumbs downs to movies that he wants to see or not see based on the trailer. And I'm like, wait, (laughs) wait, wait, wait. So you're making these judgments (laughs) based on like a minute of a trailer. Okay. I mean, all right. That's that now that's passive consumption, isn't it? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. that is the kind of what studios want you to do. They want you to look at their trade. They because because studios are not just sh- showcasing their film. They want you to see their film more than you want to see the other film that is yeah. being run, right? So they're trying to appeal to that. So it, it is, trailers are simply passive consumption. They're forcing you or they're asking you to make a judgment about mm-hmm. the film based upon what they're showing you in, you know, one minute or a two minute clip. Yeah. And and that's that's the whole point. The whole point of trailers is to sell you the film. The point of critics is not to sell you anything right um it's to it should be and and i absolutely agree with you there are issues with criticism right now and um and you know it's it can be very difficult to parse out who you want to kind of follow and who you don't um but the point of critics what critics should be doing is not saying you should see this film you shouldn't see this film but say this is what's this is what I liked about it. This is what I think worked. This is what didn't work. These are the larger issues at play. You know, there are all kinds of ways that criticism can be approached, but ultimately it's about an informed opinion. That is what a critic is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm supposed to know something about film probably more than my friends who aren't critics because they're not interested in that side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I offer my opinion based upon what I have seen and you can either take it or leave it. And if you take it, great, awesome. If you don't, fine. You know, it's not, I, no critic should be beholden to, I love this film. I don't love this film. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh man. There's someone else I was talking to a couple weeks ago that I don't know very well. Um, but you know, people tend to be very curious about my opinions on things when they find out that I write in podcasts about movies. And so I was talking to this guy and he asked me my thoughts about Nomadland. And I think it was the week before the Oscars. So I think it had not won yet, but you know, it was pretty much expected that it was going to. And so he asked me like, oh, well, what did you think of No Man Land? And I said, I think it's a brilliant movie. I'm so excited. I really do hope it ends up winning because it's great. Oh, was it the best movie of the year? I was like, well, there were a couple others that I personally enjoyed more, but yeah, I think it'd be a great movie to be the best picture of this year. And I think Chloe Zhao is a great director. And he's just like, well, a critic I trust said Nomadland is boring, so I'm not going to watch it. I'm like, oh, I just, okay, <laughs> whatever. It's, it's, yeah, it's exhausting. And also, I'm, I'm sorry, if the, if the whole thing is, is, oh, this movie is boring, it's just like, you're not very much of a critic. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, he didn't yeah. tell me who it was, and I didn't ask because I didn't really want to know. But yeah, it's just like, okay, it's funny because there are people who will do that. Like they'll find one critic that they trust and it's kind of like, it's kind of like politics and stuff. It's like, there are people, like if you agree 100% with somebody on everything, that's really boring and also really concerning, you know, like you and I are on the same page on a lot of things, but there are times when we don't just, when we don't quite agree and that makes it fun. (laughs) 
you know what I mean? And so it's like, if you're only listening to one critic and allowing that one critic to decide what your taste is, that's, that's really limiting. And it's really unfortunate because you're probably missing out on some stuff that you actually would like. Yeah. As is, by the way, making a single filmmaker's uh, oeuvre your entire personality. Yes. Uh, which I definitely coped with a couple of weeks ago. Talk about that a little bit more. That was uh, fun. Oh, I don't really want to. Um, yeah. Is that, <laughs> you I don't mean, have to name the, the director. <laughs> I, no, I, I can't not name the director if I'm going to talk about it. All right. So a- anyone who, who follows me on Twitter know, probably knows about this, or at least has kind of seen what's going on. Anyone who doesn't has no idea, so I'm just going to say it. Um, I, I made a kind of tongue-in-cheek statement, but not really. Uh, There's no such thing as a tongue-in-cheek statement on Twitter. They, Haven't you this, learned that? <laughs> basically, there, there, was a, uh, there was an article, I think, with The Guardian that came out um, in which Zack Snyder, in the midst of, a, of an interview that, that also dealt with other things, um, you know, in promoting his film, uh, Army of the Dead, talked about how that he doesn't think that his films uh, promote a right-wing ideology, which has been one of the criticisms of his movies, which, you know- That they do, enough, not that they don't. <laughs> yeah, that they do uh, promote a right-wing ideology. Yeah, and you know what, fair enough. He, he can have his opinion about his own films. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, and I made the statement that I, I believe him, that I don't think that he thinks his films particularly have an ideology. Uh, that, and, because, and that really what he's doing, and this is what a number of people have said, is, is that he's, he's more interested in something looking cool than he is about really thinking about why he thinks it looks cool. Mm-hmm. Or what kind of imagery he's actually using. And I, I'm sorry, guys, like if you look at triumph of the will if you look a lot of if you look at a lot of Lenny Riefenstuhl's films and you look at some of the ways that Zack Snyder represents superheroes there is a direct correlation between what he's doing and I I honestly don't think that he is looking at that and being like oh I'm a fascist I think that he's looking at it and being like I think this looks cool Mm -hmm. right that absolutely so I essentially implied that um Zack Snyder is not a fascist Zack Snyder is too stupid to be a fascist (laughs) He's, um, he's using fascist imagery and fascist ideology because he thinks it's cool. And that, that his statement is absolutely not disingenuous or anything like that. This provoked, first of all, three quarters of the people that responded to me definitely thought I was calling Zack Snyder a fascist. And I was like, no, 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 he's too stupid to be a fascist. <laughs> Which is saying a lot about how stupid he is, because I don't think fascists are very bright people. Um, not usually, no. <laughs> and also, it's kind of a joke, but also not really. Um, and and so, yeah, I, I mean, I just, I eventually turned off notifications for that post because people were just like retweeting me. People were saying all kinds of things. People were, of course, calling me stupid telling me that I didn't know what I was talking about. Someone asked me um, about being a failed filmmaker. And I was like, I, first of all, that's not very nice to do. But second of all, I've never made a film. I think they don't, they didn't know what film studies is. You so fail was- 100% of the projects you never start, Lauren. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I am, in that sense, I'm a failed <laughs> filmmaker because I've never attempted to make a film. <laughs> 
or gone to school for making films or particularly want, the last time I wanted to be a film director, I think I was like 10 years old. And then I realized that film studies was actually a thing that I was allowed to do. And I, I was more interested in that. I don't want to make movies. Like that's, some critics do. And that's, that's, a, that's a different thing, but I, I don't. Um, yeah, so it, it was just wild. But, but that, that was the thing is like, there's some, particularly with someone like Snyder or someone like Nolan, you've got so many people who make their films their entire personality. Like, and a lot of the, I have to say, a lot of these Twitter accounts that were responding to me, the only thing that was on their Twitter were Zack Snyder. Like, that's it. Um, that, that was all that they talked about on Twitter. And I'm certain that they have other things that they do in real life, but it, it's always concerning to me when you have a, an account that is nothing but a particular director or a particular film because yeah. at a certain point it's like unless it's like a PR account um so at a certain point it's like look you're you're spending an awful lot of time you know standing for a director that first of all doesn't need it right mm-hmm. and and second of all don't don't make a director your entire personality like I love Alfred Hitchcock but Alfred Hitchcock's films are not my the only thing that I care about and he's also not the only director that I like. And I can understand criticism of Hitchcock. Yeah. If you truly, I mean, I do believe that if you truly love a, a filmmaker or a film or a, a genre or anything like that, you don't just blindly enjoy and like everything that that person does. You criticize it. You look at the times when it it is problematic. You know, you listen to, to it when people say that, this that it has issues that maybe need to be talked about and i'm not saying you got to agree with me about Zack snyder but you definitely have to take this into account because i sure as fuck i'm not the only person that was saying any of this right this is something that has been said about his films and that is pretty explicit in a lot of his work so even if you don't agree you still have to look at those things if you're if you're doing any sort of critical analysis or understanding or the fact that you're again blindly consuming the work of someone that you've just decided can do no wrong mm-hmm. yeah exactly well and and one of the one of the problems for people that get caught in this loop is that they take any criticism of that director as an attack on themselves personally and you know it's it that's where that's why people get so angry and get so riled up because they're really defensive like you can't say that because then you know it's it's you're attacking the thing that that they identify with the most out of everything in life. I don't know. But it's like, you know, I mean, until Tenet, I, I've other than Tenet, I should say, I like Christopher Nolan's movies. I enjoy them. I don't think that they're all perfect. In fact, I think most of them are not perfect. Um, and that's where it's like yeah i can listen to to you lauren telling like saying like well this movie is stupid and it's like well i mean i like it but i know you're not saying i'm stupid for liking it so it's you know it's it's fine i'm not gonna get offended that you don't like something that i do it's okay even though i did say that christopher nolan makes art films for stupid people um you did but I, but i also I know. know that you were not targeting me when you said that so well and, and also i think it was at some level you do have to understand that there are things that are jokes and things that exactly um, oh my gosh you know so if if i say no that's dumb like that's not that's not a critical analysis <laughs> no. of anything that's just saying something is dumb like i think it's dumb um what was it the other day i tweeted something 
um I gotta find it because it was just like um it was just so funny the way people reacted to it oh oh I remember I asked so is Space Force still a thing because I, I think that the fact that they have you know started a branch of the military and called it Space Force is funny like I don't care what their mission is. It's probably legitimate, but it's done. It sounds funny. And I love making fun of that. And their logo is the Star Trek logo. And I even asked my brother, who's an intellectual property lawyer, but also conservative, is this a copyright violation? He's like, yep, probably. (laughs) So anyway, I think it's funny. Well, so I just made a joke. Like, is that still a thing? And all these very helpful people were trying to explain to me that yes, and it's actually getting more funding under the Biden administration than under Trump. So if you were against it under Trump, then you should be happy to, or whatever. I don't know. It was just like, thanks well, guys. I already Googled it. And, and that's, that's the thing. I think that a lot of people automatically assume, and it's easy to do in, in social media. You automatically yeah. assume that someone's attacking it. Yeah. Right? And, and so all you said was, is this still a thing? And a <laughs> lot of, of dudes, yep, uh, yep believed that what you were doing was you were attacking it you were criticizing trump you know whatever else you were doing which you know i I would still criticize trump for it because it's stupid but (laughs) yeah but that's not necessarily um that's not necessarily applied in your tweet and there is a reactionism i think that gets going um, yeah i've said it before i'm very reactive on twitter partially because i have dealt with so many idiots (laughs) and it's so easy to get a rise out of people like, all I have to do yeah. is, like, if I tweeted right now, Zack Snyder's dummy, <laughs> I would, by the time we finish recording this episode, I would probably have 500 hate tweets at me. Well, and, and I'm not going to find out. That's, that's the thing. I got so many people responding to me saying, like, you can't call someone a fascist. They're just like, well, first of all, I, I can. Like, that's something <laughs> that I'm allowed to do. I can call anybody a fascist if I want to. Um, I don't use that phrase lightly. Second of all, I didn't call him a fascist. I, I said he was too stupid to be a fascist. Um, I don't think he's a fascist. You can't just ask people why they're white, Lauren. <laughs> uh, it's true. It's true. No, but, but I mean, this, but yeah. this is a thing that, that also particularly gets going in, in film. And I mean, I, I remember in the bad old days of the um, IMDb message boards. Which, <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, if Twitter is, if Twitter and Reddit are like, are like these <laughs> nether worlds, I mean, IMDb message boards were like the night circle of hell. Um, I, yeah. I made a comment, a very stupid, I, I was so young, I was so young and, and uh, impressionable. I think I was like 19 or something like that. Um, and I made a comment about like Tarantino, I don't even remember what it was about. It was like Tarantino's style. And I, it was literally, I was praising him. I was saying like, I really like that he has this pastiche style, right? That he takes all of these different things. This was at a time when I actually liked Tarantino. Um, and, and some dude just got so mad at me for praising Tarantino. And this was someone who is a big Tarantino fan, but I was not praising Tarantino correctly. Right. I was not saying the correct things about his style. Um, and this, this got to a point where by the end of it, this guy was following me to other message boards. to shout at me just to argue with me right so this this has definitely prepared me for adventures on twitter um where you get that kind of thing where you're it's not just that you're not saying um you're it's not just that you're not praising the director right it's one thing if you criticize the director 
but you're not praising them correctly. Like if I went off and said, well, you know what? I actually kind of like the way that Zack Snyder uses slow motion. Someone would start pitching a fit at me about praising him for the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exhausting too. So it's again, this, this whole thing of like, you're, you're making not just the, the director, your entire personality, but your personal opinion about the director, your entire personality. And, and not just after a while, like that, that's not, that isn't healthy. Like, please stop. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people, their answer to stuff is like, well, just, just only talk about what you like. And there, there is some value in that, but also as critics, it's our responsibility and also our right to, to say like, Hey, okay, this popular thing, there are some problems with it. And here's why it's totally valid to do that. But for people to just get so up in arms and to go into a stranger's feed, just because it got retweeted into theirs or whatever, it's like, I didn't ask to be in your line of sight, (laughs) you know? So if I am, that's your problem, not mine. And and to just attack random strangers on the internet for just thinking differently than you it i don't know it will never make sense to me it's wild yeah it's It's also fun when when people search out their own name and then go after people it's like look i did not tag you that's happened to i think both of us and it happens to other people all the time too or it's like i didn't tag you so the fact that you saw this is your fault not mine I, I do have to say one of my favorite things that happened with the whole Snyder thing was a dude who accused me of being toxic and <laughs> within the same, within like a span of five minutes had also tweeted, tagged my tweet um, to some like account called Cult of Snyder. Oh my which gosh. Their whole thing is to find people that are criticizing Zack Snyder and to attack them. So I'm just like, dude, you were the one who just like snitch tagged me to a, a, cult of snyder twitter account oh my god and you're calling me toxic just like yeah totally non-toxic fandom right here (laughs) seriously holy crap (laughs) anyways i think that all of this is to say please don't be on twitter anyone who's not on twitter who's listening to this just don't do it just like unless you absolutely must because this is like your job or you're not going to be able to to like understand what's happening in the media world just don't (laughs) do it (laughs) Yeah. My gosh. Oh, people. But anyway, let's talk about other happy things or happy things, or I don't know. Let's talk about other things. <laughs> so there was a bit of news this week. We'll come back to the, um, to the other topics that we're going to talk about, but um, things are progressing very quickly. Uh, I just looked at the clock anyway, but we had a question this week that we wanted to answer because, um, the news came that Amazon is buying MGM for 9 billion with a B dollars. And that would get them the entire back catalog of, of MGM, which includes, I don't even know what all includes. I know it's got like wizard of Oz and I was, I made a joke because someone was like, why is why is Amazon doing this? And I was like, so they can reboot the bar- the father of the bride franchise. <laughs> um, and it gives them the James Bond films as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so that happened. And so we got a question about it from Keith Derrick. 
who wants to know, what do you think the long-term implications are for cinema after Amazon purchased MGM? I feel like my general disdain for Amazon and Bezos prevents me from analyzing it fairly. Although I do find it ironic that the Bond franchise is basically owned by a real-life Bond villain. <laughs> um, Lauren, would you like to? Do you have thoughts? Would you like to start off? I mean, I, I, I'm one of those people that tends to react less intensely to this kind of news than I think some other people do. Um, you know, it, this, this is the kind of thing that's been happening a lot. Uh, you, we've got Disney acquiring Fox, uh, we've got the Disney and Marvel conglomerate, we've got all of the, you know, Warner Brothers divesting of certain things, um, Discovery buying other things, like, it's, it's all getting kind of very weird, and there's a lot of rearrangement going on. Um, I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't think it's a good thing, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Uh, one of the things that actually, in terms of availability of, um, of films, uh, one of the things that I appreciate to a certain degree about Amazon Prime is that Amazon tends to just throw up anything that it owns and just put it up on Prime, right? So if it owns, and, and as a result, you can watch a lot of really good B-movies um, on Amazon and some not B-movies. Like there, there are lots of, there's a wide range of, of film that's just available on there because Amazon happens to have the rights to it. Uh, and, and so I think that that's a good thing if they're able to do something like that with the MGM catalog. I don't think they're going to be like Disney where they're sort of going to sit on 20th Century Fox. Um, and, and Amazon doesn't have that same sort of adherence to brand that, that Disney does. Disney is very concerned about its branding and about its, its visibility. Uh, Amazon doesn't have the same kind of concern. So that's, that's kind of on the good side. On the bad side, yeah, you, you do kind of question what this is going to mean for franchises, what this is going to mean um, for physical media, uh, what this will ultimately mean for the kinds of, of products that Amazon is going to produce. I don't know. I think we sort of have to wait and see and uh, see how everything works. But I'm actually less concerned about this than I was about um, Disney acquiring Fox. Yeah, I think part of that is the fact that MGM is not one of like the big five or whatever studios. So, I mean, it's it's significant, but it MGM, I mean, really the only franchise that they have going right now is James Bond, which is what they release one movie every five or six years. I know the current, the newest one is pushed back because of the pandemic and it's pushed back again, but, um, but this isn't a studio where they're getting, they're acquiring a ton of IP so that they can have control of certain characters or anything. This is just giving them access to an extensive back catalog of films that goes back to the twenties. And I think that, um, I think that now probably Amazon will start rotating some of their some of their films out and not having everything all up at once, but they tend to have, um, like you pointed out, they tend to have a much more expansive collection. Like everything that they have, they just put up on prime. It's, I mean, even criterion is limited probably because of bandwidth and stuff like that. Amazon doesn't have the same limitations as other companies do because it's like a trillion dollar company now. So they just, they literally have more money than God. Um, yeah, so I, I I don't feel like this is necessarily a bad thing. I feel like if anybody's going to purchase MGM's extensive library, I feel like Amazon may be the 
a big company, I mean, uh, I think Amazon might be the safest one to have it um, because of the fact yeah. that they do believe in the theatrical experience. So they're not going to uh, do the Fox, the Disney Fox thing where they um, won't allow repertories to show old Fox movies anymore. I don't think Amazon's going to have a problem with that. Sorry, you were going to jump in and say something. No, no, I, I was just going to say that I, I agree with you. Amazon, um, Amazon has a lot of problems. I'm not defending them at any right. level, but, uh, but Amazon does have a much more, like you say, expansive attitude mm-hmm. um, towards, towards film, th- things like theatrical release, things like, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't think they're going to be like Disney and just shove things into a vault and say, we're never going to show them again. Um, I think that they are actually going to make them available. Now, in what form those they're going to be available and for how long is an open question, but I think that this, this isn't going to be something that they're just going to bury MGM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Keith, to answer part of your question, I do think that maybe you're totally fair and absolutely deserved disdain for Bezos um, is part of of makes it a little difficult to step back and look at what's really happening. This is between two companies. This is not just about Jeff Bezos. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I do think that we have to remark, and we, we might be getting a little long on time, but um, do have to remark that in terms of this, this whole criticism of corporate production of film, mm-hmm. the, the entire history of Hollywood is corporate. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, have to, we have to remember that, you know, we're really concerned about places like Amazon or Netflix or um, Disney, et cetera, acquiring all of these different, uh, these older studios acquiring, MGM was in deep trouble, right? MGM was going to get bought by someone, either that it was just going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's the one side of it. Um, corporations have always run Hollywood. They've run Hollywood at least since the, the late 20s, right? Yeah. So the the idea that something like um, that that something like the, the studio system was a corporate structure, like that was the whole point. They owned people, literally. They owned like multi-year contracts on stars and on directors and on writers. They had their own brands. You know, Warner Brothers had its own brand. It, it produced particular kinds of films. MGM, the MGM musical was not an accident. It wasn't like they suddenly just decided, oh, we're just going to be producing a bunch of musicals. This wasn't, this, this was like a deliberate corporate decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so the concern over can these corp, you know, can these corporations really run these studios? Like, that's what studios are. They're corporations, you know, they, and you can make great films within that structure and you can also, and that structure can also limit filmmaking. Um, but that's, that's the way that mainstream film has been produced in the United States forever. Uh, and, and that's, so that's not really changing. It's just kind of getting a slightly different look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think that in in modern world times we we tend to freak out about stuff. And it's like, yeah, I think in in a lot of ways, I think independent film is is much more interesting, much more inclusive. There's a lot of other other things happening in independent film when you step outside of the studio system. But even those films are, you know, tied to a corporate structure in some way because to get eyeballs they have to get out into the world which means they have to be seen in movie theaters they have to be seen at festivals which are becoming more and more corporate you know there's there's 
you're never going to completely get away from a corporate structure when it comes to film. And that doesn't mean that, that film is any less artistic just because the studios have so much control over, over them. Yeah, it, it, this is one of those times where again, I'm like, I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't necessarily like it, but I, I can't say that, you know, it's good or bad. It, it simply is. Yeah. Um, and, and at that point you have to kind of, you know, and, and yeah, there, there are definitely things to be, there, I mean, this, the studio system wasn't exactly a great thing, um, but it also produced a lot of really good art. And so that's, that's one of the things that you have to kind of navigate in talking about um, this kind of structure you know, it is what it is kind of thing. There isn't anything we can do about it necessarily, but I don't think that it's going to doom cinema yeah. um, any more than the studio system doomed cinema. Yeah, exactly. So that's, yeah, there's movies and they're good. And you can watch them at home on streaming. You can watch them in the theater. We have new movies out. In fact, this weekend we've got Cruella and A Quiet Place 2, which are out. Both are fine. Um I actually am writing a review of Corel. I've been working on it for like four days because <laughs> I've gone back and forth on what to say about that movie because I, when I watched it, I had a lot of fun with it. I enjoyed watching it. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, but I have some issues with this and that. And it's funny because yesterday I saw a couple of people just getting into it over like themes and stuff and like, oh, well, but it's for kids. I'm like, but it's PG-13. So I think that some of those critiques are valid. Um, yeah. But anyway, I thought it was a very fun movie. I would not pay $30 on uh, Disney Plus for premiere access personally, but that's probably because I have AMC A list and I can, you know, I'm already paying for movies anyway, so I don't have to pay for a ticket each time I want to go. So I don't know if you have a family and your kids want to see it, it's probably worth it instead of going to the theater, but it's also just fun to see on a, on a big screen. If you're in a place where it's safe to do so. I went and saw a quiet place too yesterday, <laughs> which was also fun. I, I enjoyed that one too. I, I think that there's, also some issues with that one it's not as good as the first one but um although i think millicent simmons is just oh, that kid she's amazing and so is um um oh my gosh i just lost his name noah jupe like those kids are just fantastic but i'm also you know i have concerns with kids being in movies and stuff but anyway um like just keep them pure but um but yeah, so I'm in the theater and it's like 40% capacity and it is at that capacity. So there's a lot of people in the theater. So the most crowded I've been in a movie theater in like a year and a half. And um, it was it was great. But also when you watch a movie like A Quiet Place 2 in a theater full of people, it makes it very easy to pick, to pick out who's going to be the first ones killed when those aliens show up and start attacking based on sound because there are people who cannot <laughs> shut up for two seconds. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's like there's, there's a review, a letterbox review, I think of, of Cruella that's been floating around. That oh is gosh, actually that was amazing. An entire, an entire story about <laughs> to, just about what happened in, in a theater in New York City and I feel like reading this and just like oh New York is coming back that makes me so <laughs> I mean there me was a so taser warm. involved there was yelling a taser probably <laughs> drunk people like you never know but yeah if you've ever been to a movie in New York City you have at least one story if you've been to enough movies in New York City you have at least one story about some weird ass shit going down um that was 
usually way more interesting than the actual film you were watching. But uh, I, I do think that, you know, with all this, you know, theaters opening up again, people going back to them, that more and more of that sense of like, okay, we can actually start doing the things that, that we wanted to do. Yeah. I'm kind of worried about going back to the movie theater, not so much because of COVID, but because of be like, oh yeah, this sucks. Yeah, <laughs> like, people are I loud. I completely forgot off. how terrible other people are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, it's not that people don't enjoy the theatrical experience. It's that they don't enjoy the theatrical experience with other people because other people suck. See, other, yeah, exactly. Other people are the worst. And we're all about to find that out again. We're all about to yeah. be like, oh, yeah, people are dumb. God. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like a quiet place, too. And it's like a super quiet part. Like, everyone's being super hushed because there are aliens that will kill you. And someone's cell phone goes off, and I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so if you feel like it, go back to the movies. You might see someone get tased. Super fun. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, that's going to wrap things up this week. We have talked about a lot of, we've complained about a lot of things, let's face it. But, you know, I think it's been good. Uh, you know, I think just- it has too. Gotta, gotta get this out gotta get this out and at the very least yep. those of our listeners who are not on twitter and do not have any idea what we're talking about when we say some things are, <laughs> are just gonna be like man so glad i'm not on twitter seriously they're like why are you still on there and it's like well because it's kind of uh, you have to be in this business it's just part of the deal so i try to get out and they keep on dragging me back in exactly michael corleone uh, anyway, we just want to thank you all for listening and uh, thank you for putting up with all of our Zack Snyder hate and our Taika TT love. Um, oh, speaking of that, did you hear he might be in trouble with Disney? I have heard of that. I have heard of that. <laughs> Over those pictures. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so funny. I think everyone just Google Taika Waititi like thruple and you will you'll know exactly what we're talking about because it's it's been a journey and I think it's going to be even more one I just want to say anybody who is surprised by this has not they have not been paying attention because I have seen this coming for a long time not necessarily this particular thruple but him being into you know polyamory is not a surprise so yeah yeah anyway um (laughs) love is love no judgment um so yeah all right anyway we're wrapping this up we're gonna end now because we've been talking a lot so we would like to thank everyone for listening thank you especially to our patrons adriana ali heather james kathleen cariata mason matt matthew michelle monty nanina robert robert steve sharon tau and will thanks so much you guys for your support if you would like to be among their number you can go to our patreon.com slash citizen dame and sign up for patreon we have a couple of tiers we have a new bonus episode which is definitely out by now and uh our may bonus we reviewed pedro alma I was about to totally butcher his name, Almondovar, um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. That was a lot of fun. Um, and we have some other bonus content coming. And uh, yes, the fives are coming back this week. So sorry about that. Um, we also have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and our ko-fi, which is co-fi.com slash citizen dame. So if you want to support us in those ways, we love that too. Your support helps us keep the show going. 
Um, we are also available for kind and thoughtful comments at Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. We are also on Letterboxd at Citizen Dame. So we're, it's still new, guys. We're still, you know, developing some things, but, um, but we have that and we're very excited. Uh, you can email us. We are at, uh, we are citizendamepod at gmail.com and our website is citizendamepod.com. You'll be able to read my review of Cruella. Lauren's got some things coming up. I'm going to be covering Tribeca. I just finally got the official word for that. So I'm going to have some reviews from Tribeca there too. Yes. Uh, yeah, same soon. here. We're going to be talking about Tribeca. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you so much. Watch and read and follow and all that stuff. You can also reach out to us individually. Lauren, where are you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. And we will catch you next time. Thanks. There is something personal in this. Yes, deeply personal. I hate you. <laughs> Every little bit of you. Now get out! You want me to leave? You are making a terrible mistake. If Maria Gambrelli is not a murderer and I say she is not, you are sending an innocent girl to the guillotine. Excuse me, Francois.